1: to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 244, and today we are talking about books being released on January 28th, 2020, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Patricia Elsie Tuttle, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Oh, I did it! <laughs> Yay! Yay! You know that thing where, like, you mess something up, and then the more you think about it, you just keep doing it? Oh, absolutely. Well, that is... That's what I've been doing. Um, so uh, Patricia and I are here today recording the show. Um, we've just started actually recording the show, but she's been listening to me whine for like, I don't know, like 30 minutes. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, it's nice of you to say. Um, some of the conversations that we have before the show are just so funny. And I, I'm always like, I hope that's not being recorded somewhere.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. It's going to be a separate show called All the Book Nights or something. Yeah.
1: These are like all the books outtakes, you know? Like I, I have this weird fascination. Like when I watch television, I don't know what it is. Um, but I will watch the last episode of a series, like not the season, but like a whole series. I'll watch the last episode of a television series, even if I have not watched any of that other, any of the other episodes. Because I love a last episode, like, and I'm like, those people work together for so long and they're leaving and they're not going to see each other every day again. You know, it's like, it gets me. And <laughs> I will, I will drop everything for a blooper reel. I will love a blooper oh, absolutely. reel. absolutely.
0: Like shows absolutely. I've never seen. I'm just, because they're so funny. I love it. Well, and I feel like that's so rare anymore because we have YouTube, right? Yeah. So there used to be like America's Funniest Home Videos and like, all of that, and now we don't have that. We just have, you know, what
1: Don't they still make?
0: doesn't Tom Bergeron
1: do America's Funny Home Videos? I mean, what is it? What do they just do? Just like
0: take stuff off the internet? <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe, yeah. It's all memes. No, I have no idea.
1: It's all, it's all very strange. We had a we had a um, film festival here in my area many years ago. Now. Six or seven years ago, that was just
0: um cat videos from the internet. <laughs> we had we had CatCon in Pasadena when I lived down there. I didn't get to go because it was very expensive. But is that the is that like cat videos? I think it was a whole thing. It was like a cat convention, so huh? there were like cat videos, cat arts, actual cats, and like things for your pets and cat accoutrement and <laughs> all kinds of things.
1: Uh, I thought you were going to say, but I couldn't go to it because I wasn't a cat. Like that. <laughs> only, only cats can go to cat
0: cons, you know? Oh, I'm definitely a cat. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> hey, how about we talk about some books? <laughs> I have lost the thread speaking <laughs> of cats.
1: Um, yes, before we do that, we're going to hear about one of our sponsors. Okay. So now books. That is why we're here. So my first pick today is. Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu uh, I love Charles Yu this is his fourth novel um or his fourth book I think I think I should say I think he has a collection of stories um he wrote how to live safely in a science fictional universe which is so wonderful Um, And he also is one of the writers of Westworld, the TV show on HBO. And I was starting to be sad because he hadn't written a novel in a long time. And I was like, oh, no, it's going to be like David Benioff. He's gone to TV. He's gone to the dark side. He's not coming back. But here it is. And it's his best. It's fantastic. It is a fantastic novel about race, immigration, identity, gender, parents, children. It's a send up of stereotypes and tropes about Asians in Hollywood. Um, it is done in the format of a screenplay, um, which is why it says interior Chinatown, um, like they like do in scripts. And because, like, like I said, he writes screenplays now. Um, and it is about a young man who lives, uh, above a restaurant called the Golden Palace Restaurant. Um, he lives in an apartment building. His parents are there, like all the people that he grew up with. His name is Willis Wu. And he talks about how, um there are these different stereotypes that are portrayed in, you know, pop culture and he lists some of them that like he gets to play himself. And like these are the the um descriptions that he's given him his, given himself. You know, he's been generic background Asian man, disgraced son, silent henchman, striving immigrant, um recurring ethnic guy. Uh but what he really, really wants to be is kung fu guy. All the Asian men, he says, want to be Kung Fu guy. He's the cool guy that everybody respects. Um His dad was a Kung Fu guy at one time, then he got old, then he was Kung Fu master. Now he's just old Asian man. His mother plays the roles of um young dragon lady, slightly yes, less young dragon lady, beautiful maiden, dead maiden. And now she plays old Asian woman. And you kind of, as you're reading this book, they're filming a show in the Golden Palace restaurant Uh, below where they live, um, called Black and White. It's a cop show. And like, they, he talks about like how they're perpetually, you know, playing these different roles in this show. And sometimes it's like, is this the show that he's talking about when he's talking about these roles or is it, you know, his real life? Um, it's, it's, the format is so original and it's funny and it's heartbreaking. Um, and you know, he also, Willis talks about the roles. You know, he sees himself playing, you know, in real life, you know, he feels like a neglectful son, like he doesn't visit his father enough. Um, he, you know, he doesn't, he goes upstairs and kind of like sneaks by his, his mom's apartment, um, you know, and she catches him and, you know, he feels guilty for not spending en- enough time with her. Um, and, she, you know, she just wants the best for him. And he feels like he's not living up to those expectations um, it's it really makes you think. And it's just the way he does it is so fantastic. And like I said, it's very funny. It's also just like, oh, it's so just heart squeezing. Um, he's just so great. I hope I, I have fingers crossed that this book wins awards this year because I think it's fantastic. It's called Interior Chinatown and it's by Charles Yu. That sounds amazing. It's so good! I'm
0: so happy that it's out now. <laughs> So for my first pick, I'm picking Parable of the Sower. Yes, the Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler, but out today is the graphic novelization adapted by Damien Duffy and John Jennings. This is the same creative team that did the graphic novelization of Octavia Butler's Kindred, which is my favorite books and it's done so well. So I've been really looking forward to their version of Parable of the Sower. The original book was published in 1993. It's a dystopian near-future novel taking place beginning in 2024. It starts in Los Angeles and slowly moves north through California. Many of my fellow Californians will recognize a lot of the geography in it, which was pretty great, but also terrifying at the same time because it's dystopian. So we follow Lauren Olamina, who is an older teen and the daughter of a preacher. She lives in Los Angeles in a fenced off community, almost like a gated community, but there's not, it's not fancy. Like there's not really anything fancy existing anymore in 2024, which is terrifying, Um The people in this fenced-off area are safe, but not for long. While the United States is falling apart, so is Lauren's belief system. She not only begins to create her own religion, which she calls Earthseed, but at the same time starts to prepare for the inevitable when she and others will have to escape this fenced-off area for their lives." The parallels between what's happening in this book and what is happening in the world now politically and environmentally are super, super scary and just like, I got chills when I was reading this whole thing, uh, right down to things and especially California being on literal fire. Lauren does have to flee Los Angeles and walks north with hundreds of others and picks up people to travel along the way. As they join her group, she starts to teach them about um, Earthseed, her religion, focusing on God as being change. And while this is central to the story, I didn't feel preached at, as I have in some other fiction that has religion central to the story. I think this version of Parable of the Sower translate really well to the graphic novel format and the artwork style. Invokes a really rough and dirty tone, which lends itself to the dystopian California around it. So, so that's again, Parable of the Sower, the graphic novel adapted by Damien Duffy and John Jennings. All
1: right. So my next pick is How to Build a Heart by Maria Padian. And if you want an important YA novel that deals with real issues that Punches you in the heart and also just makes you warm and fuzzy all over. Um, this is a good choice. It's about a 16-year-old named Izzy. Uh, she lives with her mother and her younger brother. They have been moving a lot. Her father was a Marine who was killed in Iraq. And since then, they have moved several times. Uh, struggling to make ends meet. She's not been able to like make any meaningful connections anywhere or stay anywhere long enough to establish a life and she- it's getting really hard. And in the book, they have now moved to Virginia and Habitat for Humanity is going to build them a house. She really likes Virginia. Um, she meets a neighbor a girl named Roz. And they strike up a friendship, and Izzy is thinking, like, this is it. Like, they're, we're going to get a house, and this is, you know, where I'm going to stay, and everything's going to be great. But, you know, it's life, and teenagers, and, you know, Roz, her friend, has you know, some issues of her own. She's very troubled. Um, Roz is in love with a boy named Sam, who lives in, like, the McMansions, and seem- it seems perfect, but he is, you know, dealing with his own problems. Um, he feels a lot of pressure to be perfect. He has imposter syndrome. Uh, Roz, like I said, is really into Sam, but Sam is into Izzy and Izzy is unfortunately feeling things for Sam back. So you, so there's a triangle going on there. Um, and she doesn't know what to do because she doesn't want to upset her friend, but at the same time, you know, she's really into Sam. Uh, she's also trying to hide, um, her, economic status from Sam and from other people like she doesn't want him to know that you know that they don't have any money because she thinks that she's going to be judged for it she's trying to hide it from everybody um and while she's like dealing with this she's also you know experiencing she's in the middle of grief still she lost her dad um things have been very hard for her they've been very hard for her mother and her brother um so she has all those feelings going on it's about secrets and friendship and how we need to move past these stories of girl rivalries and how, you know, girls like pitting girls against each other. Um, and the, you know, trigger warnings for depression, uh, racism and bullying. Um, but it, like I said, it deals with some really hard hitting, important issues. And I thought
0: it was fantastic. It's how to build a heart by
1: Maria Padian.
0: My next pick is nonfiction. Um, and it is Edge Turning Adversity into Advantage by Laura Huang. Um surprising to no one, like I said, I have a, a nonfiction book. Uh as I said before, it's hard to find on on all the backlist. it's hard to find books that are self improvement slash self-helpish that are a hundred percent on target. And so, like I like to say, it's a uh, great time to figure out like, take what's best and leave the rest. So this book is a good example of that. But there are enough thought provoking points in this book that I feel like it's a good one to check out. Laura Wong defines an edge as, quote, gaining an advantage, but it goes beyond just advantage. It's about recognizing that others will have their perceptions about us right or wrong. When you recognize the power in those perceptions and learn to use them in your favor, you create an edge. So there are people who have privilege, different kind of privileges based on their race or based on their gender, and those of us who do not have those privileges. And the author hopes to give us without the privileges tools that help us get a leg up when the deck is stacked against us. I will say this, the author alludes to privilege, sexism, and racism, but doesn't necessarily call them that, and instead uses terms like advantage and bias. Although there's a very clear deficit of discussion of how racism is systemic, and not just someone having stereotypes. But like I said, take what's best, leave the rest. And don't think too hard when you're reading this book. There are some really great discussions in Edge right in the beginning. She talks about how meritocracies, that is advancing solely because of your hard work, isn't actually a thing. Meritocracies don't exist for people without certain privileges. And I love having it so clearly explained and debunked in, ex- in an accessible way. And Laura Wong's main point is the system, this idea of a meritocracy and the system we are working in is imperfect. So we all need to figure out how to have an edge and work within an imperfect system while at the same time doing things to change the system. It's not going to change overnight. So another section I appreciate deeply is her takedown of personality tests, including but not limited to the notoriously invalid Myers-Briggs type index. At any given moment, it's likely you find me and or my wife ranting about bad research connected to personality tests and also how results of such tests limit us and even add more labels for people to judge people by. I was really excited that Laura Wong took the time to just lay all the information out there about personality tests and really make people think deeply about them rather than just taking them at face value. The four main concepts Wong focuses on in Edge are Enrich, Delight, Guide, and Effort. For those of you who have also read the classic How to Win Friends and Influence People, there's some really interesting parallels in Edge, and it could make for some really interesting discussion. I found that super fascinating. So, again, that is Edge, Turning Adversity into Advantage by Laura Huang.
1: My next pick is Confessions of a Dork Lord by Mike Johnston and Marta Altez. It's a middle-grade book, sort of like a Harry Potter, wimpy kid mashup, set in the Dark Ages. There are goblins, ogres, witches, warlocks, dragons, elves, dwarves, orcs, and humans. The antihero of our book is Azrael Balgarath, the Wicked Keeper of the Flame, breaker of worlds, son of the Dark Lord who vanished heir to the throne of Black and Broken Glass. But you can call him Wick, uh, or as the kids in school call him, the Lord Dork. Um, his father was the Dark Lord. Uh, he was a very tall, imposing figure. ...striked fear in the hearts of everyone around him. Uh, He and Wick's mother disappeared ten years ago during the Battle of the Fairy Folk. And so Wick has been on his own. Um, He's he's twelve now. He's very small. His father was very tall. He is very small. He has a lot of allergies. Uh, He gets picked on a lot. Like I said, they call him the Lord Dork because one time when he was trying to explain to the orcs that he was their lord... He translated it as Lord of the Orcs, and so it sounded like Lord d'Orc, which then they started calling him Lord d'Orc. Um, and so he's not having a great time. Like, who likes middle school? No one. No one likes middle school. Um, parents, maybe. Parents like, might like middle school, I don't know. But he's, you know, so he's been on his own, and he gets picked on a lot, and he's supposed to succeed his father as the Dark Lord, but he doesn't. He's not really into it. And also no one really thinks that he can. Um, and he's going to have to go on a dangerous journey to prove himself to become the dark lord. Uh, but nobody wants to join him. Like no one wants to be in his army. Um, except for his, you know, friend Augie and a dragon. That's his whole, that's his whole horde that he has going on. So he's going to have to figure out like how to get followers. But at the same time, um, he's not doing well in his classes. He's getting bullied and. You know, he's worried that there are going to be more battles. It's, you know, it's, it's a middle grade book about bullying, um, about loneliness. Um, but also it's a middle grade book. Um, I have a nephew now. He's five. He would like this book. There is a lot of bathroom humor. Um, so I, I'm just going to go out on a limb. No offense, but I don't think this is going to win the Pulitzer next year, but it is really fun. There are also really adorable illustrations, which I enjoyed quite a bit. Um, and, you know, if you want to read something with your kids or, you know, just something silly for yourself, because we all could use that right now. Um, it is Confessions of a Dork Lord by Mike Johnston and Marta Altez. And now, before we hear about Patricia's next fabulous pick, we are going to hear from our next sponsor. Okay, Patricia,
0: you're up. My next pick is Becoming a Man by P. Carl. I have a few content warnings for this book. Content warnings for violence against women, sexual assault and molestation, and child abuse. Uh, Becoming a Man is a memoir about the author's journey to an experience in his transition to the man he is from living as a girl and queer woman for 50 years. Carl is a man and a transgender man. He is also a white man. Throughout his memoir, he shares stories about the shock of the privilege he now experiences post-transition. The author struggles not to lose himself in this toxic version of manhood, especially having known the other side of it. And he he's really good at weaving in cur- the s- current state of the union and things such as his own Me Too stories and remembering being a woman with her own Me Too stories. And he switches pronouns back and forth as he talks about his old self and also uses his dead name. And if you don't know what a dead name is, that is a name that a person who is usually transgender – that's their name given to them at birth that they no longer use – and usually they just don't use that name and no one uses that name for them. And, but Carl or P. Carl definitely uses his his dead name and that could be hard for some people to hear. So I guess that's a content warning as well. So he just explores in this book what it means to transition and what of his old self remains. It's not like there's a magic wand that waves and suddenly he's, A whole new person, like he's, he's still him inside with his memories. And Carl talks about the woman he was, though he never felt at home in womanhood and who that woman means to Carl today, as well as who that woman meant to Carl's wife, family, and friends while figuring out the space that Carl now how, now inhabits in their lives. As Carl says, he's still learning how to navigate the multiple truths his body inhabits. Becoming a Man weaves back and forth between memories of a past life and truths of a present one. Carl talks at length about the growing pains of his marriage to his wife over 20 years and her struggle with his transition. He also talks about friends and former friends who handled his transition in varying ways, and often it was hard to read. Carl's story is the story of one man and one trans man. He is very clear that he is not speaking for others, for each person experiences their transition differently. And I appreciate that he has added his story to the growing collections of stories from trans folks that are available to all of us. So again, that is Becoming a Man by P. Carl.
1: Okay, my last pick for today is A Beautiful Crime by Christopher Bolin. This is about a young couple, Nick and Clay. They're in their mid-twenties. They want to be more than they are. They live in New York City, and they want more for themselves. And so they decide the way to get this is to rip someone off. Like, take someone else's money away from them and make themselves happy. Um, They decide to go to Venice. Clay has a collection of fake silver antiques that he was given by his ex-boyfriend, And they're going to sell them to this retired millionaire who resides in Venice. They think, like, they're going to sell them to this guy. He's going to be psyched. They're going to make mad bank. And everyone's going to live happily ever after. You know, because millionaires are never suspicious of anything. You know, that's how they got all their money, right? And, you know, it's going to be totally easy. That's, you know, what this book is going to be about. Right? No. On the first page of this book, we know that there is a dead body laying on the ground. We don't know who it is. Um, so you have to read the book to find out. And it's fantastic and worth it. I have read, uh, two, I think, two of Christopher Boland's other books, and I find them very, very wonderful. Um, they're very atmospheric. Uh, they're those literary mysteries where, like, the mystery, or the crime is secondary to the, the characters and the descriptions and the atmosphere. Um, this is getting tons of Patricia Highsmith comparisons, and it's completely warranted. It is, you know, a, a con story set in Italy. So right there it's like, you know, Ripley. Um, but also it's very suspenseful. Um, and it's full of desperation. You know, Nick is from Dayton, Ohio, and he felt like he could never be himself or be open about his sexuality when he lived there. Um, and when he was growing up and now he lives in New York city where he can be, and he has a relationship and, but he still like wants more for himself. You know, he wants to, to be something more, um, And, you know, Clay, the same thing, Clay has experienced loss and they just, you know, they're young and they think this is going to be a good idea. And, you know, the, the body of the novel is that, you know... Are they going to get away with it? You know, will they fake this guy out? You know, what's going to happen with that money? And who is that body on the stones? Who Who is that? Um, So, like, the whole time I'm like, oh, is it clay? Oh, is it going to be Nick? Oh, is it going to be someone else? Who is it going to be? You know, and, and I liked that. I liked, you know, getting hooked at the beginning and having to, you know, go to the end to find out. Um, Which is how, like, most mysteries work. But sometimes you read them and you're like, I don't really care how this turns out. Um, This is not the case. I really
0: enjoyed this book. It is A Beautiful Crime by Christopher Bolin. So my final book is I Am My Brand, How to Build Your Brand Without Apology by Kubi Springer. Confession time. I admit I appreciate the occasional business book. It's rare, but it happens. And I Am My Brand is one of those books that I have thoroughly enjoyed. The author, Kubi Springer, is an award-winning brand specialist. She's worked with Nike, MTV, P. Diddy, Mariah Carey, Rolls-Royce, Aston Martin, and a bunch more brands that I'm not going to name right now, just know she is an expert in her field. Her intended audience for this book is women, but honestly, the information in this is relevant regardless of your gender. Kubi Springer really holds your hands and guides you step-by-step, step, including hands-on exercises for building your personal brand. She makes no assumptions of your knowledge, which was great for me, and defines all of her terms. What is a brand? Is the brand your marketing? Your tagline? Spoiler, it's not. A brand is an emotional connection with its target audience. So one of the things I love most is that she gives a bunch of examples for everything using brands that almost every reader will know. When you think about your favorite brands, what do you feel? For example, Disney's brand is magic. So they try to weave that in absolutely everything they do. She has sections on all of your brand assets, Logo, strap line, colors, promise, mission, vision, and signature. Again, Kubi Springer defines each thing and leads you through figuring out what these are for your personal brand. She has everything from font examples to color wheel describing what each color typically signifies. The author also shares a bunch of relevant personal anecdotes and hard lessons learned. In writing this book, she makes it clear she really had to do a lot of introspection and open up about her own brand journey, which your personal brand is you. It's not a mask or a costume you put on. Springer makes it clear that trying to do it in a way, in that way is a recipe for failure. The most successful brands are genuine. I was happy to see that she features interviews with other female brand builders from around the world. It's really great to have the diverse perspectives and advice all available in the same place. So again, that is I Am My Brand, How to Build Your Brand Without Apology by Kubi Springer.
1: Okay, so those are our new picks. What are you going to read next?
0: So I just picked up a copy of The Deep and Dark Blue, which is a graphic novel by Nikki Smith, and it came, it might have come out this month. I don't know, but it looks amazing.
1: And I just got a copy of Tall Tales and Wee Stories, The Best of Billy Connolly, um,
0: because oh I needed
1: something funny. He made me laugh a lot when I was a kid. He has an amazing HBO special that I used to watch all the time. When I was young, and also he took over for head of the class when Howard Hussman left, and I have just always loved Billy Connolly. Um, I did not realize that he has been doing this for 50 years. I was reading that in the description of this book, Um, but I always thought of him as like the Scottish Robin Williams because you would watch him do stand-up and he'd start (laughs) talking about something. Or maybe I was just like, you know, um, projecting because he'll start talking about something and then it'll take him 2 hours to get to what he wanted to say cuz he gets off on these little tangents um and he's he's so 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 funny plus fabulous scottish accent so he's a delight i'm excited to check it out i've never read anything by him i know he's had a couple other books um but that is what i'm going to do and we made it to the end. Yeah. I was concerned there for a minute, you know, for me, not for you. Um, so thank you to our sponsors. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. Uh, you can find us online. You can find Patricia on Twitter at the info file, which is T H E I N F O P H I L E. You can find me on Instagram at Franz and comes Alive, where you can now see pictures of my giant cats. I've had, I like, I'm like, what do you start, stop calling them kittens? You know, (laughs) Even though they're like a year old and they're almost 17 pounds each now. So I guess I stopped calling them kittens. Oh, wow. Yeah, they're just, whew, they're a, a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, they like to step on you when you're sleeping, and it's like, oh, oh," um, which I've never experienced before until now. Um, so, see, see what happens? I went off on a little cat tangent. Cat tangent, that is the name of my next band. (laughs) That's our, Um. that's our new podcast. (laughs) Cat tangents. Yep. (laughs) But as much as we would love to tell you more about cats today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy
0: happy reading. reading.